Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Be The Church podcast, where we are engaging in conversations that will encourage you to live out your faith in everyday context so that you can be the church. I'm your producer, Isaiah Fetterman. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Anderson. And I'm your other host, David Dominguez. Fantastic. So, good to hear you guys again. We are continuing through our series, uh, going through the book Gentle and Lowly. If you would like to follow along, we would love for you to join us. I know we're pretty far in right now, but you can hop back to earlier episodes. They're all there. And if you would, even now, you can email us at podcast at com. And if you're not local, you can send us your address, and we are happy to ship you a copy of uh, Gentle and Lowly. So uh, please join in. It's a great book, really encouraging. It's been really awesome to go through this together. So, And also, if you have any questions after this uh, about what we're talking about or whatever is going on, uh, or you just have ideas for us to talk about, again, email us at podcast at aletheia.com. Um, all that to say, we are jumping into episode 42, crazy, and we are hitting on chapter 17 of Gentle and Lily. But before we do that, we always love to help you guys stay uh, up to date with us if you're hopping into the middle here. And so we'll have some quick overview questions. So Kevin, what is Gentle and Lowly about? Yeah, so this book is written to help us understand the heart of Christ. Uh, not not like, a, an, an, it's written to move past kind of like a superficial idea of, of who Jesus is and what he's done and, and really get after um, who God is and, and what, what God has done for us uh, and how uh, Jesus' posture towards us is one of compassion and, and mercy and grace and gentleness, and so you know, it's written for for those of us who are who are beaten down, you know, um, disappointed, broken, uh, hurting, or or maybe those of us that that have lost sight of the goodness of our God. Absolutely, and not only do we want to understand all these big things, but it brings up a question of why we would choose this book. And along the lines of a lot of what Kevin was saying, we don't want to just take those ideas and know them in our head, but we really want to see them applied in our heart and in our lives. So taking these amazing uh, understandings of God's heart and seeing them applied to a lot of the strains and struggles that we go through and not trying to do it on our own, but entrusting in him and growing in our relationship with Christ. Like that's why we choose to go through this book. And Specifically towards this chapter, then David, um, what is a quick overview for chapter seventeen? Yeah, so chapter seventeen, much like this whole book, I think, um, has this focus of telling us that hey, we have this natural inclination to kind of throw our expectations and our thoughts of what we think or assume God should be instead of just letting the Bible surprise us with what God says about himself. 
And so chapter 17 is based on Isaiah 55, 8, which clearly it just says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And so Dane seeks to use this passage to remind us that this, this section of scripture that says that is actually talking about God and his compassionate heart towards us. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of the focus of chapter 17. Yeah, so that'll lead us into our very first question, uh, which this phrase can be pretty common at times. And have you ever found yourself uh, or maybe even hearing someone else in the wake of a, mysteri- a mysterious providence or, or some unanswerable moment in life, just saying, you know, God's ways are not our ways. What did you mean by that? Or what did someone else potentially mean by that? Yeah, so I, I've definitely found myself using that phrase before and having it used toward me um, as well. Uh, it's typically, it's in the context of suffering, right? You know, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, um, yeah, I see you're suffering. I see things are difficult, but, um, you know, hey, God's still got a purpose. And, and, you know, and and I think, you know, it can be helpful to an extent, you know, to be reminded that as a a Christian, we're called to suffer and that suffering is just a reality of being human. And that doesn't mean that God's not in it. Um, But, you know, the frequent use of that phrase, and it's something I've tried to get away from and try to maybe be a little more nuanced and helpful in general in those types of situations. It can be potentially unhelpful as well because it just kind of writes off the reality of what someone's walking through and just says, yeah. well, you know, hey, you know, sorry. Uh, sorry, you can't figure it out. God's got it. And it's difficult, right? Because the statement in of itself on, on face value being said to somebody like that is not necessarily wrong. Um, but we should seek to be encouraging and uplifting and helpful. And so maybe we should rethink kind of how we just approach using that phrase and, and how regularly it's used inside of the Christian community. Yeah. Cause it does have a sense of brushing the pain or the suffering under the rug a little bit to be like, you know, Hey, God's in control, like calm down when, you know, like there, there is a sense that that can be encouraging when it's alongside compassion, not alongside, um, neglect of mourning with those who mourn yeah i mean i I think if if you if you're using that phrase especially when there is a lack of relational capital in the relationship it can be perceived as either brushing them aside or supposing that the person doesn't know that reality of god's sovereignty and character and so then it makes you feel it, it can it can cause someone to feel like oh okay this person's just belittling me or my theology or you know how I'm walking in this knowing like good theology does not promise a life without suffering mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so just being being a little bit maybe more intentional and compassionate would be would be something we could consider when we when we think through using a phrase like that or as we're going to see later maybe fully maybe more fully understanding the context of that verse and why we use it in the first place. Right. Which I think we're going to, we're going to get to in in the following questions, but just to add a little bit of something there with, with what Kevin and Isaiah were, we're both saying, I think something that we should always remember, especially when we're being present and, you know, trying to be helpful in the midst of suffering for, for other people is, if we look back at the times where we have suffered, 
where we have been through difficult situations, oftentimes just having knowledge or just like a biblical answer to just knowing that God is God and he's in control and that there's ultimate hope that doesn't ultimately take away our suffering. It can for sure be encouraging and it ultimately is what grounds the certainty and, and I would say the foundation of our Christian life. But oftentimes, like, like you said, what we're called to do as believers is to, to be there for one another, right? To mourn with those who mourn, to be present. Sometimes that's all somebody really needs from you is being present, not telling them like, Hey, everything's going to be fine. Sometimes they just need someone there to cry on their shoulder, right? To be there for them. So, um, that's definitely, I think you guys are making really good points there. That's definitely the, just to give a quick answer myself. That's the, the most common way I have seen this phrase used and that I have used it frankly. And so obviously we're going to, to talk in the next question about what, what the actual meaning of this passage is. But I think it, it's just, it's eye opening to me and it helps me realize like why this book is so helpful because that's all it's really trying to, yeah. to do. It's like, Hey, like this is our normal, like natural default use of this text, right? Like just everybody will tell you like, Oh yeah, that's, I've heard that a hundred times from a Christian or from myself. Right. And he's like, but what if we actually take some time and like see, see what God is actually trying to yeah. reveal about himself in the text. And we realize like, not to say that divine providence isn't a, doctrine that we find in scripture where he's saying in that specific passage that there might be more to what yeah. God is revealing about himself than what we um, continually harp on. So, yeah. so speaking of that specific passage, um, you know, we, we've referenced verse eight so far, and that's where the main uh, focus is of the chapter that um, <clears throat> God's ways are not our ways and that, you know, his ways are higher than ours, but let's kind of zoom out a little bit and I'm going to read for us uh, Isaiah 55 verses six through nine. So kind of like the tail ends of that verse. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So as we hear those few verses uh, kind of surrounding uh, what we've started talking about, what is maybe a better and uh, more connected meaning of Scripture here when it says that God's ways are not our ways? So I think... Partially, we have use of this text appropriately in that we understand that it's clearly telling us that we're different, that God is different from us, right? So that part, I think we all can continue to like read that passage and clearly say like this passage is telling us God is very much different than us. Mm -hmm. I think sure. what we focus on God being different is not usually what the passage is referring to, which we talked about God's kind of just like providence and knowing basically how everything is going to work out. The passage is referring to God's compassionate heart, right? Right before we get that statement of um, that, uh, that his thoughts are not like our thoughts, right? What are we told? We read that if one returns to the Lord, he will have compassion on him and that God will abundantly pardon. 
what what the passage is trying to tell us is unlike us, right? Like we are very much not this way, right? Like someone can return to us and we will not always have compassion to them, right? We will not, we're not naturally like just like, oh, I want to abundantly just pardon people who do wrong to me, right? That is very much (laughs) not how we are. And the passage is saying that is actually God's default position towards us. And what I think is really interesting when we kind of like look at the whole passage is I don't I don't think I've ever used or thought of that passage when thinking of someone who is like sinful or who has sinned against me or like mm. hurt me. I like like I've never used that passage to like compel myself to be like, yeah, but God's God's ways are are higher than mine. I have this opportunity to show compassion to someone and be more like the God that I am claiming to follow. Mm-hmm. I, I have, or, or even someone who, who we might be like, Oh, there's, there's no way God, God can change that person. Right. And it's like, God's like, yeah, I literally can. Mm-hmm. Like I will have compassion on them. You know what I mean? Like, like to me, that is the, the more like eye opening part of this chapter is, not just like, oh, clearly there's a different focus on the passage than what I have been using it for, but how how helpful I think this passage is in those situations where we are given opportunities to show compassion, where we are given opportunities to pardon, things that naturally we don't desire to because like the passage says, our ways are not his ways. Like he does desire to pardon. We often do not. So, yeah, I don't know if you... yeah. Maybe just to add to that, I mean, yeah, clearly God is far more compassionate and tenderhearted than we can imagine. I, I mean, that's probably the first takeaway, right? Um, I actually think Isaiah is saying that we cannot really even comprehend God's heart toward us fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's like the point that that God is trying to make there, right? It's like, you just don't get like, my compassionness and my tenderness towards you. And I, I think like there's a tendency to view God's grace as like this begrudging transactional penal substitutionary atonement <laughs> like uh, view. And this doesn't mean that I don't hold to penal substitutionary atonement, but it does mean that like if we if we think too hard about like the doctrinal truth of that, it might lead us to then view God's posture towards us as being very transactional. And as he's interacting with his people here, it's clearly not the way that he is. And 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 so, you know, one of the things I thought about as I was processing through this is like, I think we tend to view God's mercy and compassion towards us or forgiveness towards us, like in the way that like, if you've got two kids that are fighting and, and one's been like hit, you know, you, you tell the one to like say sorry to their sibling. And then you tell the other one, all right, now you have to forgive them. You know, it's kind of like we view, we view confession and repentance and grace from God kind of like in that lens, like we're the kid that hit our brother or sister <laughs> We're told by God we have to apologize to him, even though we don't really want to. And then when we say sorry begrudgingly, then God, like, is forced to forgive us. And, Mm -hmm. like, that's just not the way that it is. Like, he is telling them, like, I can't, I can't, I can't wait for you to return to me. Like, if you would just return to me, 
right? Like, I will show you grace and mercy and compassion. So, you know, therefore, more than anything, you know, I think we should be taking away from this chapter that we should be allowing the word of God to reorient our perception of how God sees us and how God sees others. And really, I mean, for me, as I was rereading the chapter, like it was a call to view consistency in God's word as vital to the life of a believer, not an add-on. Because failure to recognize the reality of who God really is can really mess with you in some ways. Mm-hmm. Right, like all I could think of as I was like processing that is like Romans 12, 2, right? It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's like, how, how much joy might we experience if, if in being renewed by God's word, because we're just reading Hey, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But like in the context of like his grace and mercy and compassion towards us, how much more humble might we be because we'd be willing to confess our sin? How much more quickly might we be able to turn from sin because we would run straight to him, not thinking that it was going to be a begrudging thank you, but it's like he's there waiting and can't wait for you. I I just think like this for me more than anything was like you – you, Kevin Anderson, need to be in the Word because your thoughts about God mm-hmm. are not naturally inclined to the heart and understanding of who your God is. And you need to be in the Word to be renewed by it and having your thoughts brought into conformity with who God actually is. Yeah, that's a, a really good thought. Um, now, as we continue to process through this then, um, David uh, pointed out a point earlier. Sorry, that was a little redundant. (laughs) Um, And there's a sense that we know intuitively that God is not like us, that we are different than him. Obviously, I'm not God. I did not create the universe. (gasps) There are some inherent differences between us and God. You can't even remember the intro line sometimes. I know, it's crazy. (laughs) Crazy. Um, So as we continue to look then at this uh, passage in Isaiah 55. And even as we look at something at like Psalm 103 verse 11, where it says, you know, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. What do we learn about the deepest way in which God is not like us? And what does this tell us about the way we have fallen that the way that we fallen humans are hardwired? Yes. I'm going to be short and sweet, but I I think, it's fairly obvious that we're hardwired for justice, but it's all screwed up from the fall. Yeah. Like we, <laughs> it, meaning like we even get the idea that God should be just with us, mm-hmm. but we don't really want him to be, but we think that maybe he should be. It's I, like it's saying that out loud sounds crazy, but like have, have any of you not wrestled with that internally? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, everybody wants, God to be just for them and but. and with other people, right? Right? Like we even view, this. I I see this all the time, like with like law enforcement. We're all we're all very like, oh yeah, I want yeah, pull that guy over. He's been going fifty five, be riding my tail the whole time. But then when you get pulled over for going fifty three, you're like, I would love some mercy right now. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> sir, I'm late. 
my wife's delivering a baby right now. like you're just thinking of every excuse in the book so and I, but I, I like i even think about like my own kid though like sometimes my own kid like he has the opposite problem like he has like re- he has real trouble receiving mercy cuz he's really really hard on himself like he struggles with like perfectionism to to an extent but even that is like an example of what we're talking about here of like example of like how our fallen broken nature just like just jacks up this idea of like justice and mercy and like when it's appropriate and what does it look like and how do we proceed like that's why like even (laughs) we don't need to go down the political rabbit trail but just like when i see politicians and people arguing about like justice and like like seeing it move forward in any in any particular arena not even in a particular area of like um poverty or you know, brokenness or whatever else in our world. I'm just like really kind of cynical towards it because my, my understanding and knowledge of the human condition is just like, well, they're just going to create a new set of problems. Right. Because we, we don't, we don't operate the way that God does properly in this sphere. And so, and I think it's like extremely arrogant of us most of the time to think that we have the proper answer of like how it does suppose how it should look or like exactly how it is supposed to go down. Cause like, honestly, as I, I was like thinking to that question when we were preparing for the, the uh, podcast, I was just like, yeah, man, we just screw this up. Like yeah. there's just no other way to put it. Yeah. And I think, you know, clearly I think Isaiah highlighted this pretty, pretty clearly. Like, I don't think very many of us approach scripture thinking like, yeah, we're, we're pretty much God. Like <laughs> give or take a few decimals. Like, like, like I think very few, I'm sure there are people are out there who feel that way. Um, but I don't think they're listening to our podcast and I don't think <laughs> they're reading this. <laughs> Most are unknowingly they, doing it. Right. Um, yeah. But, but what I think this chapter is trying to highlight as well alongside that is the two passages that we see this language used both in Isaiah and in, in the Psalms, we would, we would, our natural inclination would be to attach that to like some crazy attribute that God has that we don't have, right? Like we'd be like, oh yeah, because he like knows everything and he is like creator of like the whole universe. And yet we read scripture and it's like, you know, I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to pardon. It's just not where our our natural inclination is so when we think of God's otherness, grandiosity, whatever makes him him and other than us, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, even even in the psalm, I mean, Isaiah, I just read this, but where it says, his, for, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Like, that is... That is what God reveals about himself when he is telling us, if, if there's any doubt that I am not like you, look at my compassion, look at my steadfast love. That is where, where we're like, man, that's what I want to emulate. That's, that's, what I, that's what I need. That's what we can't, we can't really find anywhere else outside of, of God. Yeah. And I think in that light, you know, we may even 
not think about it as much because, you know, we, we do have like veins of showing compassion and love, but um, I think pressing into this idea then on page 160, Dane says, he isn't like you. Even the most intense human love is but the faintest echo of heaven's cascading abundance. So when we hear that, you know, and seeing that difference through his compassion and through his love, it's just being so much more magnanimous than ours. Um, Yeah, there's a word. Mm. Um, Do you believe this? How does this affect the way you or maybe our listeners can live our life as Christians today? So short answer is yes, <laughs> right? Like I think this is, these are these, these are some of the truths where it's much easier to give like an answer with your head and be like, yeah, doctrinally, I think this makes a lot of sense. Do I always truly believe it or live that way? I think this is why this book is, is helpful and it pushes us to wrestle with those questions and, and, and bring this to the forefront of our mind. But I think practically, and Kevin was getting at this like earlier, like ultimately doctrine and theology like isn't the end all be all of everything. But but what we think about God can have does have huge ramifications of Absolutely. of not just who we are, but even how we walk as Christians. Mm-hmm. And so this is why I think this truth is so comforting to me. Right. So understanding that even our strongest expression of human love can't compare to what God's God is, which is love. Right. You know, we as as humans, we can demonstrate love. Right. But the Bible tells us that God is love. Right. And that he doesn't change. And so how comforting is that as a Christian to wake up every day and knowing that God's love and his compassion are not only not like not like ours that is fleeting, right? One day you might have a lot of compassion for your roommate or your kid or your spouse. And then another day you might just not, right? Um, Or vice versa. You might receive a lot of compassion and love from your significant other or your friend or your boss. And then some other day you might not because they're having a crappy day. How comforting it is to know that our God is not that way, that he is not changing day in and day out and, one day he might be loving and full of compassion and another day he he isn't for you. And like, again, I don't want to get like super, like there's a lot of like doctrinal things you can study with like even God's attributes and impassibility and simplicity of God and all those things. Like if you're interested in, those are some like key terms that you can just Google and like read up a bunch on. But I think just ultimately the core idea that this pa- this chapter is getting across to us that God is different than us and what he's trying to tell us is he's different in, the, in terms of the way he shows compassion and the way that he demonstrates and is love I think that should be a comforting thing for Christians to know for sure yeah I, that was good stuff right there I, I for me I think maybe and I think this maybe even goes back to what I was saying earlier about how this chapter was kind of personally affecting me and reminding me about just the need to be in God's word and being renewed in my mind. But, you know, going along with that, that, that discussion you were bringing up about like just proper theology and its place and how it, how it can affect us. I think, you know, this, 
being encouraged and reminded about the truth of God's heart towards us in his word encourages me that I can take thoughts captive that make less of God and what he's revealed about himself in his word. Like I, I, I can say like when I, when I'm wrestling, let's say with like unconfessed and unrepentant sin and I'm, I'm playing that game with myself internally on like, well, what if I'm known? Like what, what will God do? Right? Like, you know, I don't, I don't need to play that game because God is compassionate He's promised in his word, like, he can't wait. And it sounds outrageous, you know, that, that I could do that, that I, that I could confess that sin and, and go to him. But his ways are not our ways, right? He's not out for retribution, right? I, I think, like, to me, you know, this chapter is, has, was and is, again, one of my favorite chapters in, in the whole book. And I think one of the reasons is is because the takeaway from it is just very, very clear. And it's that God cares more for us than we care for ourselves and others. Yeah. Like if you, if you walk away from listening to this podcast today just remembering that, like that's powerful. And it's not yeah. like, some self-help thing that we're trying to throw out there. Like, no, it's, it's the reality of who God has revealed himself to be in scripture to us. God cares more about me and my good and others than I do. That's, that's super liberating and freeing. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to experience a, or felt and deeper reality each and every day of being yeah. able to just live in that. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, as we think through this deep love and care and just compassion by the Lord, um, there's a, another really great reality that is brought to light in Isaiah 57, 15, which I'll read for us now, which says... For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So, um, David, I'm going to make you answer this real quick and then I'll ask the follow-up question. But where are the two places God most loves to dwell according to Isaiah 57, 15? I have high and holy places. <laughs> yes, that is the first one. And then eternity. Well, and so with him who is contrite and lowly uh, of spirit. Um, oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah. So Wait. that's the second one. Oh, yeah. Look at that. There we go. <laughs> one out of two. You know, the great thing is, there is if you looked at your questions. notes, you actually yeah, have you the right answer notes. in your yeah. notes. Yeah. Oh, Isn't fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, I was rereading re the passage with Isaiah. <laughs> ah, it's amazing. I, I know I did. This is a beautiful moment. You love to see it. Yes. We're not trust perfect, David, guys. trust your past self. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. I finally scrolled low enough in my notes where I'm not reading that, what Isaiah read. That so, is amazing. This is a beautiful moment to recognize we're not perfect and therefore listen, not perfect like God. So there we are. If, if you hadn't realized that this this far into the <laughs> 36 minutes in. <laughs> About 30 minutes, but that's okay. Oh. That's fine. Um, <laughs> listen, anyways. 
I can only go off the clock we have I right know, here. I know, I know. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, uh, we cut off the first six minutes. It of is this. Fine. You're totally JR Smithing us right now. <laughs> All that to say. <laughs> is that a, any non-sports fans out there are not going to understand that reference? Like, like me. Wrong, right? <laughs> I didn't understand that at all, so I'm, I'm there with you. If you don't understand sports, stick around to hang out with me because I'll be there with you. Oh, man. All right. Now that we've been uh, derailed a little bit there, nice little rabbit hole. Um, what was the question again? So there was where the two places God most loves to dwell, oh. high and holy place, yeah. and, you know, with him who is contrite and lowly of spirit. The answer is B. Yes. In light of that, how does this connect with Matthew eleven twenty nine? That's the passage that, you know, the whole book is rooted yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and so how does it connect with that passage and with your own life? I'm going to stick to my notes on this one. All Smart right. man. Um, I, I think Dane does a very good job towards the end of this chapter to, like Kevin said, the, the clear point of, of the chapter is he's trying to help us better understand Isaiah 55 but then also give us the greater context of God's compassion and love. And then like everything else he's tried to do in this chapter, he's tried, he's tried to make a clear and direct connection with the work of the person of Jesus Christ and to help us realize that this disconnect that we often see between who God reveals himself to be in the Old Testament and who Jesus reveals himself to be in the New Testament are in fact no different and in, and are just yep. the the physical outworking of what we see God reveal himself in the Old Testament. And I think when we look at those those two things that uh, we saw there, um, specifically the part that he is he he enjoys to to be with those who are contrite and lowly of spirit um, and to retrieve the spirit of the lowly, I think we see that practically lived out yeah. in in the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, um, I'm not going to unpack the connection to Matthew because David did a really good job of that. But I just think as a as a as a pastor, um, this is a, a reminder to me that Jesus welcomes me, that He invites me and others into His presence with love compassion with mercy and therefore it, it, it encourages me kind of like as a, as a response to that that as a pastor I'm called to preach the magnitude and the mercies of that love of God not some help self-help version of the gospel or or some seven steps to you know financial freedom or, or whatever it may be not that Financial freedom is not something you might want to obtain or, or, you know, overcoming something or whatever. Like, yes and amen. But, like, the biggest thing we need is is we need to know the reality of who God really is, right? And like, like I said earlier, right, that that reality is that God cares for us more than we even care mm-hmm. for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it was demonstrated most fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, as you're listening, uh, we thank you for uh, listening in and just knowing that God is so much greater than we are at loving others and loving us. Um, And 
don't ignore that. Like mm-hmm. God is better at loving you than you are. And he's given us his word to remind us of that and to direct us in that. So look to God and let him be a part of your life uh, regularly and actively in loving and caring for you through the good and the bad. So any final words other than that? Awesome. So we hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you did, uh, be sure to, you know, do all the normal things that, you know, people tell you when they're on podcasts and whatnot, you know, like subscribe, follow, share it with others. Yeah. Rate, uh, (laughs) all the things. What are the other ones? You're on YouTube. Subscribe. 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 No, yeah, yeah, we, I, I said that. I mean, you can subscribe. I guess. Hit the, uh, we, little, hit the little alarm button. I mean, it's not the end of the world if you don't, but we would greatly appreciate it. And, you know, share it with others. If this helped you, like, share it with those uh, around you who you feel like it could also encourage. Yeah. And as always, if you have any questions uh, or if you would like the book to follow along, uh, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at com, And we would love to answer your questions or have further discussion on this. If you, if you have uh, unanswered questions or if you have new ideas for once we're done with this book, as we are getting close to the end, uh, in there. please email us your thoughts or questions. Maybe another book we, you think we should go through or just a, a question you might have uh, that might be difficult or spicy. I don't know. Um, But with that, we hope uh, you go this week and be the church. Hello. Good to see you, man. Better to see you. Wow. It's not a contest. It's not. It's not. (laughs) I think Isaiah just made it one, though. Tried to. He is a a gamer. uh, Yes, but it's all in love. It's all in love. I love that... You love people so much that even though we're like giving you a hard time and talking about things you love, you still don't want to potentially be perceived as being in conflict with somebody. I mean, <laughs> your heart is so big, Fetterman. Just wait till you play Catan with me, then it changes. I-